This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. A happy new year to all of you from all of us at Knowles 24-7 slash the On the Bench crew. Uh, gentlemen, welcome new year, new me, new knee, Chris Knee. How's it going? It's going. <laughs> okay, good. He's mid-year form already. Zachary, new year, same me. Same, same knee is the pun that I'm trying to make here. No one's helping me out. Zachary Blostein with a brand new microphone. Look at big old Zach with the mic in the house. What up, Zach? What's good? Oh How are you guys? God. It sounds so good. Don't hey, don't rub it in. You're just Baratna's voice sounds even better now than it did before. I don't like that. It's making me insecure. Good. And we got Josh Newberg. Josh, hello. Happy New Year. Hello. Happy New Year. Uh shout out to everybody listening who made it through. We didn't really get to say our New Year resolutions or anything. Should we do that on this show? Yeah, let's let's start off with that. Mine's to get less fat. You're what are you talking about? I got a belly. That's Look at disgusting. this belly. Yeah, see the it's bourbon good. belly. I mean, I did. You know, they don't put calories on bourbon except for there was one I was looking at the other day, and like a serving's 120 ounces. So I started doing a lot of math in my in my brain. It's a lot of calories that I'm ingesting each week. <laughs> jo- Josh, what's your New Year's resolution? Um, maybe to just be a little bit more patient with you. With me let specifically? Yeah, let oh. you talk a little bit more. Just be more patient with you specifically. Well, good. I'm glad I'm part of your New Year's resolutions. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast right now are probably irritated with your specific resolution to have me talk more. <laughs> I think that's a poor idea. Chris, what about you? Mine was to curse less. I broke it yesterday. Oh, what word did you use? Don't worry, no, you can no, edit no. it out. Ask the boys, they remember. <laughs> they told me I owe them $1,000 every time I curse, so I'm like $7,000 down right now. Wow. That weather was something driving home. Oh, yeah. Nasty, nasty weather. And Zach Blostein, what do you got there for your New Year's resolution? Except for your new microphone. Yeah, that was the first resolution. Um, No, but... Trying to go to the gym more and then also try to be more empathetic towards y- you because you're always in your feelings. I really don't like the direction of this podcast so far. Patience and empathy towards Brendan. Uh... <laughs> I'm trying to think whether we should apologize or not for not doing the podcast for two weeks. We, were, we didn't really tell people we weren't going to do it for two weeks. We just kind of said, eh, I was on vacation and everyone else was like, we don't feel like doing the pod. If I'm, I'm really the glue guy. I think we need to all... You know, that's a New Year's resolution is not to tolerate me more, but is to appreciate and respect what I do for this podcast and for this Knowles 24-7 universe in general. I'm the glue guy. I'm the heart and hustle of On the Bench. Yeah, that's one reason why we didn't pod for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you not send much- me the link, I show up. It's a pretty simple <laughs> concept with me. It's- yeah, you may not tell us whether you're going to show up or not, but you'll be there, which is... exactly. Which you don't need nice. to know. I'll tell you if I won't be there. There's a the only snag is there was that one time where Chris totally didn't realize that there was a link sent and he overslept. But that's fine. That's why we are supposed to communicate before. But hey, the no resentments or begrudgment uh, towards Chris for that one uh, snap. I'm pretty no sure that was that pre-pandemic. There's been a lot that's happened since then. You probably should let it go. <laughs> I have no idea that ever happened. Hey, he joined us with like five minutes left in the podcast. <laughs> I had no idea. All right. So, with the last two weeks off, there hasn't been much that's happened. No, just kidding. There has been a lot that's happened, especially in the transfer portal. And that's going to be kind of what this show is about, is a recap, kind of filling in some of the blanks of of what we missed the last few weeks with these transfer portal additions. And where I want to start with that is the wide receiver room, because it looks drastically different (laughs) now from the last time we came on and did a podcast, which is about a day or two after uh, the end of early signing period. So, FSU has added... 
three wide receivers via the transfer portal. We're going to get into all three of them, talk about the recruitment, what they bring to the table, and kind of do a generalized look at the wide receiver room as we get going here. First off was Micah Pittman from Oregon. Uh, then next came Johnny Wilson, uh, an actual high school teammate of Micah Pittman's. Johnny Wilson was at Arizona State. And then most recently on New Year's, well, I guess day, it was at midnight, uh, and Zach and Chris had to stay awake for that. I was sleeping. I think, Josh, you did not make it to midnight, correct? <laughs> I did not. I tried. <laughs> I thought I was going to. Um, Allison sent herself to bed at like 11, and, I, and she asked me if I was ready. And I said, no, I'm staying up for this commitment. And um, I was watching TV, and then all of a sudden, it was 12.45 a.m., and I realized that I had fallen asleep on the couch at about 11.45 and woke up an hour later, and it was all done. And I was frustrated and just went to bed. You missed it. You missed, I missed it. it. I fell asleep like at 11. It was a good run, though. I usually go to bed at 8 a, a p.m., not a.m. Uh, so, yeah, that was 11. 11 was as much as I had in me. Uh, so, Deuce Span committed at midnight. Zach, you were up when the when the ball dropped. Did you end up dropping a crystal ball for Deuce Span beforehand? It did, but for some reason, someone told me that it like glitched out and it went foggy. When I don't even, I didn't even think you could do that. Oh, wow! So you didn't get the credit for it. Yeah, I thought Foggy was retired in like 2020. Like if you go to his profile right now, it shows that it's I entered as undecided, but I don't even think that was possible. New New Year, new balls. But that's I'm unfortunate. Just, I'm not that's touching transfer predictions ever. I love it. That's where those are the waters I swim in the most. That's probably my highest hit rate. Uh, so let's go. Into... I don't even think it keeps your hit rate. I don't I, like. I yeah, don't, I don't even think, think it it, there's anything. a place where it tracks the transfer crystal balls. That's yeah. a new product like... coming soon. It yeah. will incomplete. Well, it will one day, and when it does, everyone's gonna be like, "Who's this Brendan's known character at the top of the leaderboard?" It'll be me. All right, maybe we should have me talk less now that I think about the I'm not format. Of I'm the being patient. <laughs> Okay, so Deuce Span committed to FSU on New Year's Day, Eve, somewhere in between then. Zachary was up for that. Zach, you had the pre-write ready to go. You were you were hustling. You knew that, that Deuce Span was going to commit, but you did not have the crystal ball in, unfortunately. Only Josh and I do. Um, but we'll give you the credit here in this platform to talk about what you discussed with Deuce and, uh, I guess, uh, why he ended up picking Florida State. Yeah, I mean, Florida State prioritized him as soon as he hit the portal. There were a couple other schools that hit him up, but he told me um, we spoke, I think, a day or two after he entered the portal, and Florida State was one of the schools most in contact with him. And then um, five days or so before he announced, he we, we got on the phone, and he, he knew he was going to Florida State. And it was really because Coach Atkins and, and Mike Norvell um, were in contact with him, you know, making him a priority at the receiver position, obviously – expressing their need at that position at Florida State, as well as the opportunity for him to, to have some packages at quarterback. And he's really interested in doing that because, as most of us know, he was a quarterback at high school, um, at Lakewood High School, and over there by Josh in St. Petersburg. Yeah, I'm going to throw this to Josh here in a second. So Span is a converted quarterback from St. Pete. Zach mentioned he had 124 yards receiving this past season, two touchdowns on only five catches. Uh, and only nine targets. So he was a big play machine when he got opportunities. He just didn't have a bunch of opportunities. So, uh, Josh, you're familiar with Deuce Span uh, from his his time. I guess we covered him a little bit in the recruiting process. I think he was a Willie Taggart target, target if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so I guess could you kind of fill in the listeners on his athletic profile, how FSU, FSU views him, and I guess how he'll be utilized here for the next couple of years, what the plan is for Deuce? Yeah, he was a high school at Lakewood. Or he, was a high, he was a high school quarterback. At Lakewood here in St. Petersburg. And uh yeah, fairly athletic at six foot three, six foot four, about 190 pounds. Um was really just recruited as a quarterback coming out. He, I believe he camped at FSU. And I can't remember if he received an offer or not, but I do know that after that camp, he really wasn't pursued much by by the Seminoles. So he he wasn't a target down the stretch. He commits to Illinois. Uh, goes in as a quarterback, like Zach said, has now converted to a wide receiver. Um, not a ton of production just yet, but hopefully that changes because he is he is uh, very needed in Florida State's wide receiver room. Yeah, he camped with FSU on July 28, 2018, and he was offered on January 8, 2019. 
Illinois, the official visit for them happened October 18, 2019. He committed to them at, in December of 2019 to so just FSU paint the picture of his life. Yes, they did offer him on January 8th of 2019. I don't recall wow. which coach led the charge there. I guess that would have been probably Raymond Woody based on the area back then with that staff. Okay, so he was offered 18. He came out in 19. Yeah, he signed at the – he was a mid-year enrollee at the end of 2019 going into 2020. He was offered by FSU at the very start of 2019. Right. Gotcha. And then he wasn't recruited very hard. I remember several coaches from big-time programs also coming down to Lakewood to check him out and – uh, the feedback I got was like they liked him. He was on their board, but not a lot of teams were going to offer. Yeah, a lot of I remember a lot of athlete talk, not a lot of quarterback talk with him. Right, but that he was thought of as a very high level athlete, which is why FSU is now in the market and taking him as a wide receiver, despite the fact that he has a lack of production at the position after moving to it during his Illinois career. Another reason he transferred here is because it's much closer to home, much easier for his family to see it. That's something he mentioned when he spoke to Zach. I think they like him. You guys have all alluded to him playing a little bit of quarterback too. Like he's an offensive weapon, as I guess is how he's going to be viewed. Uh, 6'4", that speed, that frame, and the ability to maybe play a couple positions is – I don't like it. You don't like it? No. Go on. Florida State needs wide receivers. And if he's going to be over there also learning the quarterback playbook, ah, man uh. – I don't like I don't, I, Brendan. How many wide receivers play quarterback in college? I don't think that he's going to be learning. Like, I, I think you'll have a couple packages in for him. I don't think it's going to be like he's over there practicing a lot quarterback. It needs to take place at the wide receiver position. I, I get it. Maybe they said it during his recruitment, but if this actually happens, I don't like it. Yeah, okay. I took it as whispering sweet somethings. I hope so. <laughs> I think I mean, there's I, a chance I, you I, see that. I like him, but he had five catches last year. I'd rather have him, you know, work in the wide receiver, the wide receiver playbook rather than the quarterback playbook. So this is going to be a theme with the other two wide receivers as well. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, low, low floor, high ceiling uh, potential for all these guys. Where there's not a ton of production, and and that's obviously a scary if you're looking at what this team needs, which is proven commodities at wide receiver, but there's also clear upside. Again, Deuce Spad did some really impressive things last year when he got a chance to, he just didn't get a lot of chances. Now, why he didn't get a ton of looks at a, a pretty poor Illinois program, I think that might be a little concerning. So uh, I, I'm as intrigued by him as a take as I am of any of the wide receivers is what his upside can be. Cause again, the, those physical tools are all there. Uh, just understand that, that you're really banking FSU is banking on things developing uh, productively and efficiently for him, and that's not necessarily a a guarantee. I look back, uh, area recruiter was Woody, but he was actually offered by Greg Fry and Kendall Bryles. Specifically, Kendall Bryles is one who reached out and offered him. Okay. KB liked his mobile quarterbacks. um, I believe he's the son of Gregory Span, who was a one-time Jaguar. Mm-hmm. So uh, make sure to know that as the sad little a, Jaguar fan. Was he a chat. defense? Was he a defensive back? No, he was a wide receiver. I'm trying to remember. Come on, you should remember these things. I'm looking at Gregory Span because Deuce's span football. name was Greg Span in high school. Ah. Changed it to Deuce in college. And he's a second. Yep. I need to look this up now. Someone carry the show for me. I got. Yeah, you. I, I think guys. in the uh, scouting report portion of. Oh my it, God, Chris. I got the Carry first thing the I popped show and then keep talking. <laughs> the first thing that po- I found the answer. The first thing that popped up is that he was released by the Jaguars in 2016 or 2016, what? 1996. I'm sorry, 1996. I'm butchering this. You should have known I'm that. Talk I mean, you were you were like 15 years old at that point. I was not 15 in 1996. Um, even- big big gamble. I think it's the wording we used on this one. I think it's fair. Very high ceiling, also very low floor. We'll see how it all plays out. He's big. He's athletic. Those things don't grow on trees. He's also the third of three takes at the wide receiver position through portal. So it's not like it was the first guy they took and the only guy they took. All right. Stick, sticking with uh, an intriguing frame, an intriguing prospect, uh, but not a ton of production. And that is Johnny Wilson, 
the red he'll be a redshirt sophomore. He was a redshirt freshman this past year from Arizona State. He had 12 catches for 154 yards, one touchdown, some really great metrics in terms of blocking, and you can see that in some of the film, but also uh, three drops on not a lot of targets. So that a work in progress. Uh, Chris, how's your exclusive interview with Johnny Wilson gone? <laughs> I, I think I'm sitting at O for seven currently in phone calls. I did text with his grandfather by accident. I thought it was <laughs> he, he clarified with me that it's actually, you know, his grandfather's number and that the other number I had was Johnny. So at least I know I have the right number. How many yeah, times did you call his grandfather before he texted you? Say uh, one, call, one call followed by one text and then he clarified for me via okay. text. So either Johnny's acting like he's a grandfather or it is actually Johnny's grandfather. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's over. like when they dress LeBron James up as the, uh, the grandpa LeBron, right? Yeah. He just looked like Greg Oden. Uh, so we haven't gotten a hold of him yet. Uh, what do we know about Johnny and, and why FSU moved so quickly on him when he was in the portal? In terms of his recruitment. Freaky measurables. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but in terms of his recruitment, I think this was a Mike Norvell deal. Um, Wilson, how long was he in the portal for? Like a day. Right. And um, based on, you know, people that I talked to, this one was, you know, Mike Norvell pretty much handled it. Um, from extending the offer to accepting the commitment, I don't think there was a lot of FSU staffers involved in this recruitment. Agreed. Uh, I think that that was a Norvell connection. Uh, and also, Micah Pittman and him were high school teammates. I, I would imagine that mm. probably played out a little bit. Peer-to-peer yep. so, -peer recruiting is big in transfer portal. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that I like about Johnny Wilson, mentioned this earlier, the blocking. I, I know we want wide receivers to be receivers first, and that's important. But this offense, especially with Jordan Travis being the quarterback, is going to be heavily reliant on the perimeter passing game. Right, like a lot of quick screens and stuff like that. So having someone who you can flex out as a flex tight end or just being a big wide receiver out wide, uh, that'll be helpful for the offense. Uh, so I think he upgrades you almost instantly in that small portion of the offense. Uh, will he become the red zone threat that people are, you know, people on the message board are talking about him being like the, the next Kelvin Benjamin. Let's slow our roll a little bit there or a lot of bit. Uh, but there is something intriguing when you're talking about six, seven, 230 pounds, not 320. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, he's, again, this is another a bit of a gamble pick, but one, if you hit on it, it's great. It's great because of those measurables, uh, you can't really teach six, seven, two thirty, and, and be yeah, able to move I, like that. I reached out to some contacts in that area. It's very mixed. Truthfully, what I got with regards to him, uh, from an Arizona state perspective, somebody told me that the, the staff there, and people there were excited for him to come back. It felt like he was a guy that was kind of on the, the cusp of breaking through to some degree and becoming a more primary part of their receiving corps and someone who could help him a great deal in that court, in that position. Um, and then talking to some people that knew him in high school from a coverage standpoint, uh, a little bit mixed. Uh, sometimes really productive, sometimes drop-heavy, commonly dropping the ball, things mm -hmm. of that sort. Uh, just some things that led to his ranking, I guess, dropping with us as a company during his time there. He was an Under Armour All-American. He was very productive in high school. If you go back and look at his bio at Arizona State, I think he had like 2,400 yards with 40 or more catches through his first three years of high school. Productive again as a senior with a good year. Um, I, I don't know. It's interesting. It, it's just... Usually you talk to three, four people that have watched the kid a lot, whether it's at the university or coming from when they're a transfer or in the years leading up to their attendance of that university, things usually line up. In this case, I felt like things were a little bit everywhere with him. The blocking was highly praised by Arizona State people, and that's something that the metrics point out. Drops were there, but they weren't abundantly there at Arizona State. It sounds like they were more common in high school as an issue. Um, or at least that person's opinion from viewing them in high school was that he dropped it a good bit. So I'm interested with that one. So it, and to Chris's point, and real quick, then we'll move on to Micah Pittman. Johnny Wilson was the 116th prospect nationally in the 24-7 sports composite in the 2020 cycle. Uh, he was 2000, 2001, 201st by 24-7 sports. In our, yeah, I, in house I think he was much higher with us at one point, and we – dropped him significantly as a company. Um, and I don't think he took real well to that from what I understand. 
So Micah Pittman is the final wide receiver we're going to talk about, but he was the first one, the first domino to fall. Someone we've discussed here on the podcast before. Chris and I were able to talk to him and meet him when he came for an official visit uh, about a month ago now at this point, three weeks ago or so. So Micah Pittman was a, a fairly productive player at Oregon, over 500 receiving yards in three seasons and a really dynamic punt returner. We'll get into that in a, a minute. Uh, so someone who's a little undersized, but he's got NFL bloodlines, uh, was a highly ranked recruit, was a top 100 prospect. Excuse me, had over 800 receiving yards, I believe. Uh, so, Josh, uh, if you want to talk a little bit about Micah Pittman and, and that recruiting process, and then you're able to get him uh, on your spaces, shout out FSU Spaces, to talk to Pittman a little bit about his decision on FSU. What did you learn from talking to Micah? Yeah, like you said, he has a uh, football pedigree. Dad played for the Bucks. brother plays for the Colts now. And he was heavily recruited by Kenny Dillingham prior to his departure, but did get in on an official visit. And I think that was important. We haven't seen out of the other two wide receiver commits, neither of them visited. Uh, They both committed to FSU without visiting, which is something that we see all the time with transfers. But Micah Pittman did take the trip from Eugene to Tallahassee. Um, It was kind of during the, the stuff with Dillingham was going down. But I think that kind of endeared him to the staff. It built the relationship with Mike Norvell, with Ron Dugans, with uh, Alex Atkins as well. I did talk to Mike Pittman, and he told me that he has heard from Alex Atkins. Um, One of the other big reasons why he committed was because of his belief in Jordan Travis. And I think a lot of that was due to Kenny Dillingham. And the recruitment uh, from Dillingham to Pittman, to FSU, wasn't really about their relationship. It was selling him on Jordan Travis. It was selling him on the offense, the fact that they really want to throw the football and get him involved. So um, it was very enticing to him. I think he took one other trip to Arizona State. I know he had talked about Texas A&M, but he committed to FSU and is expected to enroll on January 5th. I thought the best comment he made to Josh in the space is, well, there's two actually, was, what was Mike Norvell's message to you during your recruitment? I do my research. I'm not just going to commit to a program that doesn't believe me, and I don't believe in it. I believe that Norvell wants to change the program into the rich tr- tradition he spoke of earlier in the interview. Later in that same comment, I don't want to just be a player. I want to rub off on teammates, and when I leave, I want guys to feel they can trust and rely on me. That, that has a little Jermaine Johnson type of feel to it with regards mm-hmm. to a transfer. Uh, he spoke of his role here. That's not the second most important comment, but I thought it was interesting. He wants to be a guy that moves around, showing mismatches, reference how they do that in the NFL, detecting man-to-man. That's clearly somebody that had a father and a brother who both played in the league and understands those concepts. But you can inject this one into my veins. Can you make a play as a punt returner? It won't be if I can. It's when I will. <laughs> hey, after watching the Florida game in person, I will take it. That got me going. Speaking, I was ready to speak. God on his truth. Let, let's have it happen. Let's see it happen. I want it. I was he like, was, I don't think I told him. I was like, I don't think you understand what a you, like you. He doesn't even have to take one to the house. But like I was, I told him, I don't think you understand what a good punt return would do to Doke. It, I mean, the the roof would blow off Doke if if we got a good punt return in a meaningful position. Oh, the, entire he, he, instant re, the entire instant reaction would just be, my God, special teams, we're back. We're back. He may get we're his here. getting ovation. It's no if longer he just, be what the beep. <laughs> if, he, if he just cleanly fields and does a fair catch when he's supposed to and cleanly fields it, there may be a standing ovation in Doke. We may there retire may his jersey number. But, I mean, imagine, like, a 40-yard punt return. Oh, in I, the third quarter when FSU's up by three points and it puts him in score. Like, uh, that. <laughs> Josh, I was watching. If we put it into Chris's veins, I was watching. I was watching some of his games yesterday in kind of preparation to start doing the scouting reports and whatnot after being off. And there was just randomly, like somewhere in the flow of the game, like I'm watching him at wide receiver and I'm skimming through, skimming through. And all of a sudden, like there's a punt and I'm watching it. And he comes out of nowhere, out of screen to field it and catches it on the run and just goes 40 yards. It was he didn't house it, but it was just him naturally seeing the ball, fielding it. Uh, and then taking off after catching it. I was like, God, I have not seen that in quite a while. In years. Speaking with someone very familiar with Oregon football, they said he was a practice All-American. And they didn't mean it in a rude way. They meant that he put some stuff on film in practices that made you go, wow. And he did some stuff in games, too. It's not like he was completely non-productive in games. But it had not yet translated to the highest level in games. 
Um, uh, of the three they took, he's by far the one I think has the capability of being the one who can contribute the most out of the mm-hmm. gate probably next year for them. The highest floor for he sure. He explained his production. departure from Oregon on his YouTube page. Um, people can go to Michael Pittman's YouTube page and watch it. It's, I think it's like a 12-minute video. But basically he said that you know heading into the season, he was told they were going to pass a lot. They didn't pass a lot. Uh, they got into the season. He was told again that they were – you're going to pass a lot, but he was convinced that they were just going to run the football. Um, he entered his name in the portal and they continue to run the football. And he felt that under Mario Cristobal, they were, and this is from him on his YouTube page, that they were only going to you know, be a primarily run team under Mario. And that's why he was leaving. You watch after watching a couple games of him this past season, I understand the frustration uh, because when he would get the ball, good things would happen. Even like, perimeter blocking for a little guy he's about what 510 or so uh he's a little sawed off but he blocks his ass off like he works really hard on the perimeter i think fsu fans are going to like that he does a good job technically his dad was regarded as like a really great pass pro uh running back if i recall correctly for the bucks see chris i remember guys in the mid 2000s early 2000s 1996 is a little little early for me um you were 15 i was not 15 i'm not that old uh trying to get back on track here uh so anyways yeah i could understand the frustration of why he why he didn't like the way he was being used to oregon because good things would happen when they got him the ball and he could get downfield vertically he did some good stuff on post patterns good things on like short little uh little in and out routes stuff like he he's someone who i think will help out immensely this year i don't know if he's going to put up huge numbers but he will be someone who i think automatically day one starting potential i think is, is safe to say for him is the wide receiver room markedly better today than it was the day before Micah Pittman committed? Let's just yes or no it real quick, and then we'll add to it. I will say yes. I'll say yes. I'll say that I could sell you on every oh single wide receiver <laughs> as a singular player, but I have a hard time – accepting this is the transfer wide receiver class okay that we were going for yes or no there um but you definitely so no. treat that much like my wife does <laughs> bye so and no. as she as she's listening right now i just want her to know i love her but you know when i ask a yes or no question i'm literally just looking for a yes or a no what about you zach potentially no um <laughs> <laughs> no i i'm with josh no like 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 I'm saying, like it has the potential to be a better group, but it's not remarkably better. Like that that was the question you asked. Remarkably, remarkably. Not remarkably. remarkably. Markedly. It's definitely not remarkable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it. Like, like you're not adding any any significant production. You can't point to one of the players. One of the three guys say that we like, know we're going to get production out of this. Yeah, because they, they none of these guys have more production than your wide receiver one or wide receiver two on, on your current roster, right? Like Pokey Wilson probably has more production than than all three of them, if not, you know, just the Johnny Wilson and Deuce Span. And I'm not yeah. saying that Deuce Span or Johnny Wilson can't pan out and be great receivers, but like from the start of this, we always pointed out that they needed a, a guy that was proven. You took the Andrew Parchment experiment last year. He had some good moments. He had some not-so-good moments. But he wasn't a productive receiver. Like, there were points in the season where he wasn't even playing. Like, that just can't happen. You need – if you're going to bring in pieces, you need to have – they need to, like, start for you. Like, that, especially at this position that's been – that this past year was one of the weakest points on the entire team. I like that they're bringing in three – yeah, and, you know who knows. That's why I said yes more than anything. Is I like numbers at the problem. Yeah, I also like the fact that they're different. You got one who's an uber high ceiling athlete who who knows in span. You've got one who's a big body guy who's a very capable blocker who can be a red zone threat in Wilson. Mm-hmm. And you got Pittman who I think is probably a little bit of a mix of a more well rounded receiver, especially at this point in his career, than the other. And he gives you special teams. Who gives yeah. you special teams? So that's I why like I said all yes. three individually. Like yeah. I can I can sell you all three individually. I just I'm concerned about the overall production without having a guy there. And maybe they do take a fourth. I mean, I, I, if you're I taking love... a fourth, hold on. If you're taking a fourth, 
If are they completely revamping the entire wide receiver room? Then I would take a fourth. Let's see. I think then, yeah. but the, but what does that say about the person that's responsible for putting the room together? That they probably shouldn't have a job here anymore. Right. Because he recruited everybody in that room. And if everybody in that room can't play right now and you got to take four transfer wide receivers, then it's been completely mismanaged. And there's only one person on the coaching staff that has recruited all those guys to Florida State. Well, whiffing on high school receivers at the early signing period and not really having any backup plans at that position in the high school ranks at that point in time was a complete failure. It's why you're now adjusting and doing what you have to do because you have to do what you got to do to try to win games and you go and get the three out of the portal. So and that's sliding backwards whole... while doing it. Yeah. Um, They're not taking guys out of the portal that are of the same caliber as they were recruiting out of high school. Yeah. I love the Wyoming kid, Neor, I believe was his last name. And then Cowing out of UTEP was another guy. I don't think Cowing was attainable for FSU. I think he's going to upgrade more so than even FSU. I'm not sure on a Wyoming kid. His offer mix is pretty interesting. He's got some pretty high-level ones and then others that aren't much better than what Wyoming was. But those were two guys that jumped into portal position who I loved, who I thought were guys that I would have loved to see FSU go all out for. I do not know if they kicked the tire. Well, I know they actually reached out to both of them, but I don't know if when they kicked the tires, they were basically told it, it's not going to be you in the end. And they went and got what they could get type of thing. Real quick, Josh, and I have a point I want to make about the collective wide receiver hall and put some context to it, but Taj Harris is a name that people are going to want an update on. Do we have anything? That was another name yeah, that was in the I got a little bit of receiver. Okay. At this point, I don't expect – it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to make it in for the spring. Um, I was told even before his grades came in that it was going to be a, a long shot. So at this point, um, he hasn't – I haven't heard anything. He hasn't come in for a visit. I don't expect him to be eligible. There's a chance he could be eligible for summer. If that's the case, I got I don't even know if Florida State at this point would be interested because that means he's not going to be avail- available for spring ball, but he is somebody that's a little bit more proven than the rest. So um, I'll do some digging on that. But at this point, no, I don't think Taj Harris is in play for FSU, at least for this um, spring semester. We haven't had anyone come an hour and say they're not going to take another wide receiver. I've operated on the assumption that they're probably done unless it is someone that would kind of represent the whole big picture, like proven wide receiver or someone who you'd feel really good about that can do multiple things well uh, and use that scholarship there. I think a caveat on that is you can wait and go through the spring and see what the room looks like with the guys you just added because you're not waiting on any high schoolers other than, you know, the mysterious Mm -hmm. Destin Hill to show up so you go through spring you see what it is you see how you feel about it and then you see who's there in the portal between spring and august and if there's a guy who you feel is truly high enough caliber and plug and play the fact he missed the spring may be alleviated by the fact that you think he's such a high level receiver you know i think in retrospect that it would have benefited andrew parchment a great deal to learn the coaching staff and the system and have a spring here so he's not a plug and play type but if it's somebody who's very high caliber, who's a guy who has played the college game at a high level for multiple years and produced at a high level and has the, you know, acumen or the intelligence to kind of be plug and play, then that probably is someone that you would pursue at that point. Chris, do you remember that first practice with Andrew Parchment? Wasn't actually the second one that he was really good in? No, I'm not talking about the one he was really good in. I'm talking about, I think it was the first one and he was running with the young guys. Because, yeah, he he quickly corrected our, our view of him. Uh, but he was trying to run routes, and the hand <laughs> placement yeah. was the craziest thing I've ever seen at the college yeah, like level. Floppy hands. His hands were flopping all over yeah. the place. I'd, like I've never seen, like he's never run a route before. It was day two catches a back shoulder fade while burning it down the sideline and runs into the garage door to stop himself. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's why they like, recruited him. That's why he's here. enough. So uh, the final point I want to make on the wide receivers and why I think it is a markedly better room. I think you guys are forgetting what the wide receiver room was this past season i've seen micah Pittman win a one-on-one on a cross crossing pattern get space and then take it 30 yards upfield they were trying to run crossing patterns and one-on-one man beaters all this past season and could not get a single solo open i've seen do span catch a ball 40 yards downfield in traffic and come down with it contested between two guys his two best catches this past season on a limited sample size are better than any catch that an fsu wide receiver had all of last year so sign me up Somebody that can win a one-on-one, that's all we need. That's what I'm saying. There's at least guys there who can show you they've won one-on-one. You better not disrespect Pokey Wilson's one-hander against UF. 
Oh, that's right. Well, but he also had the punt and that. So it just kind of, it sours Never forget. a little bit. Um, I think the wide receiver room will be better. I think it'll even, dare I say, markedly better. Uh, I don't, that doesn't mean it'll be good. I just, it was at a really low level last year. That was my last point. I was gonna make a money ball a point too, but I'm going to talk less this year. So we'll move on to one other uh, transfer portal commitment. I'm going to throw this to Zach because he was all over this coverage. And that was Greedy Vance, someone, uh, an, an, a Louisville cornerback, someone who FSU hopes is all over the coverage of opposing wide receivers. See what I did there, Zachary? Yeah, it's, my New Year's resolution's going to be tough. Um, so <laughs> Greedy Vance is our, was at Louisville. Like you said, he entered the transfer portal and not long after uh, Florida State landed him. Um, it was a group effort. Mike Norvell was involved, Adam Fuller as well, um, along with Marcus Woodson, who was kind of the key in this recruitment. David Johnson um, was also key in this recruitment because Greedy Vance is originally from Edna Carr High School in Louisiana, which we are very familiar with because of the aforementioned Destin Hill. Um, maybe he's you know a real person. Maybe Greedy Vance can shed some light on that. Um, but yeah, so Greedy Vance had a relationship with Marcus Woodson out of high school. Uh, when Woodson was the defensive backs coach at Auburn, um, he was recruiting him there. He said there was a numbers crunch and basically he couldn't get in um, to that class at Auburn. So he ended up at Louisville. But once he entered the portal, Marcus Woodson was quick, quick to reach out and basically said, you know, I couldn't get you at Auburn, but I want you here at Florida State with me. Um, so they got him in, you know, fiery. He's he's kind of short. Uh, he's a small defensive back, I think 5'11". 160 or something or is measurable or 510 whatever something like that um but he's gonna play nickel i mean they like him i asked him specifically what what position they want him at and he was talking about a bunch of uh positions in the defensive backfield so um i think we'll primarily see him at nickel but you could see him at um maybe one of the safety spots or maybe even as a corner um we'll see um there were other schools involved but you know florida state was clearly the one that was uh, contacting him the most. He mentioned Oklahoma, Mississippi State, and Tulane as three other schools that were um, speaking with him often once he entered the portal. <laughs> he also mentioned that two schools were talking to him before he was in the portal, but not FSU specifically. Yeah. He said FSU was not. Got to love campering these days. What a little tattletale. So he's someone who can potentially play multiple defensive back spots, for FSU, I think you mentioned in your article, Zach, uh, corner, nickel corner, dime corner. Uh, did he say safety as well? He said uh, they're going to – I got yeah. quoted if you want to fire it Yes, off. Yes, they're, please. They're going to list me as a DB. They want me – they want to use me in the slot at nickel, at dime, at corner. I'm very versatile, so they feel like they want to do a lot of things with me in that type of scheme. So – I'm going to throw this to Josh here. I'll be honest. Uh, I think this take signifies that they're trying to cook up the pressure on some other guys in the DB room of uh, the the players who have exited the program already. I, I will say this. I wrote a lot of pre-writes for guys we expected based on just common sense or two like sources that we were hearing saying likely to. And the guys who I saw have articles pre-written for uh, were mo and that didn't transfer in the defensive back room. So I, Take, take that for what it's worth. I, would you agree, Josh, that this is a take that is meant to turn up the, the pressure a little bit on that room to either get guys to to get good or get gone kind of deal? Do you remember – did you take chemistry in your I little journalism degree? Not in, not in college. Not. No. In high school, though. Well, I took baby bio at Florida State. And I, this is what I learned. If you want – sometimes if you want to cause a reaction – you need to add a catalyst. And sometimes that catalyst causes a reaction to happen. And I think Vance, in this case, is that. So you had to add something to the room to shake it up. And to, you know, we'll see. We'll see some departures, I think, from this. Yes, I agree with you. Thank you. I, I, I don't know why you said little journalism degree. I was UCF's journalism's top graduate. Because look at us. 2011. Look, here we are. Who they thought we'd be many journalism national championships? <laughs> we're, we're journalists with a lowercase J for sure. I uh, sorry I, to break it to you, Brendan. I took his addition as a guy who 
plays a Kevin Knowles type role where he's a flexible, can do a lot of different things, gives you good depth at that position, allows you to take the rep count off of a guy as only one guy at the position. But on the flip side, I also think it's there to pressure a guy like Jones, a guy like Jay, um, you know, prepares you in case a guy like Jamie Robinson makes a decision different than the one we're expecting at this point, which is for him to return. But he hasn't put finality to that, so we're not positive there with regards to him returning. But, yeah, I, I definitely think – oh, and, of course, Tate, who's a guy who's yet to do anything here. But, yeah, here's no one thrown in a mix for you to compete with. So it's either get it done time or get on out time. And we'll move on here to a few other transfer portal defenders that, that we're uh, keeping an eye on right now. But I will say with Greedy Vance that with him possibly being a nickel, they really liked what Kevin Knowles did at nickel this past year. But the long-term – prognosis for him like was for him to or projection was for him to play at outside cornerback yeah. like that's why he was brought in so i think it also turns up some pressure on jarvis brownley not saying that jarvis is going to go anywhere but that's something they need to consistently continually push uh and it adds depth to multiple spots as well that's why i take greedy fans he's not a world beater but he, he's a replacement level uh sub package cornerback who will help you and is still young he's only a two-year player right now so he's only gonna get better so He's someone who's supposed to help elevate multiple positions and, and add some competition at defensive back. Um, Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but his best PFF grade came against FSU. Yeah, I think so. It was like 75 or something like that. So they uh, have some hands-on familiarity there. His, and we'll go to some, we'll talk about someone they have some familiarity with in a second here. Uh, but but yeah, his grades were a little up and down. He had some really good games and some some not so good games this past year in his first real extended action. Uh, he played It'll a lot. fit in perfect here. Whoa. All right, so two high-priority transfer defenders that are still on the board that we want to keep you guys updated on. Uh, let's go, because I promised uh, this someone that FSU is familiar with from, from maybe seeing on film or, or played against. This is from seeing on film. That's Albany defensive end Jared Verse. He's a high-priority pass rusher with just an increasingly impressive offer sheet, but he's narrowed his choices down. So, Neve, you can fill us in on the latest on Jared Verse, probably the, the number one priority on FSU's recruiting board, regardless of position right now. Yeah, I think he's the number one on a lot of people's boards. He's probably the best DN that's still in the portal at this point in time, which has been true since he entered. Um, FSU, Tennessee, Miami seem to be the main three. That's according to what he told Chris Hummer when they spoke. I believe it was yesterday. Hummer ran the article yesterday. Uh, at this point, him and his mom uh, very much have sat down on pros and cons, comparing the two. He did visit FSU. He did visit Tennessee. Tennessee actually got him to punt on another visit to Purdue, or more like – Per don't. There you go. Proud of you, Sinone. Uh Miami, he never visited, but they've, of course, made the pitch of it's a whole new coaching staff, and they're telling me I can help Miami build back to what it once was. Or Use build that, back baby. Better. Build back better. Um, so, yeah, he's sitting, he's thinking, he's trying to figure this all out. We shall see where it goes. I don't know that it's FSU. I don't know that it's not FSU. I know the communication between him and FSU has stayed consistent. He knows what FSU can do with a transfer defensive end. They made that abundantly clear on his visit when he met with Keir Thomas, Jermaine Johnson, and they kind of showed him, you know, history and reality. And we'll go from there. But I expect a decision from him before the enrollment period for FSU starts. So here in the next three, four days. Okay. The other name that we want to get to here, this is uh, equally, I would imagine, a pretty high priority for FSU and a new name that we haven't discussed here on On the Bench. That's UCF linebacker transfer Tatum Bethune. He announced a few days ago that he was entering the transfer portal. I don't know if he's officially in it yet right now. I don't know. But he's a three-year player who had 108 tackles this past season with the Knights, also a pair of sacks, interception, uh, and a couple of interceptions was big in uh, UCF's win over Florida, mm-hmm. suck at Florida. So, Zach, I'm going to throw this to you. What do we know about Tatum Bethune and FSU's potential interest in the in the pretty productive linebacker? Yeah, so if he's not in the portal, like we know Florida State's definitely interested. Um, they, you know, I don't know if you spoke about it, but they have uh, two built-in connections to him. He played at Miami Central High School at a high school, um, and he, uh, or Sabbath Joseph, FSU's defensive assistant, mm-hmm. um, off-field assistant, was a coach there. They're tied um, pretty close. And then Randy Shannon recruited him at UCF. Um, actually is listed as one of the primary recruiters in landing him um, over there when he when he worked there a couple of years ago. Um, so those two 
connections work for FSU in FSU's favor in this recruitment. Um, I was told, uh, you know, by a, a few sources that things are moving pretty well um, in FSU's direction. Uh, you know, depending, I don't. Did we lose Zach? Hang that in the museum. Look at that picture right now. Just capture that. <laughs> he's looking. It's it's like there's an alien invasion or a Green shooting ground. star or something. He's looking to the sky. Oh, he's back. I think. Oh, uh, I'm muting. Zach. I'm muting his mic until he's back for a second here. Until we. I know think that. Zach's back. Zach's back. <laughs> All right, let's try this out. Oh wait, I'll unmute you, Zach. When when your time. Don't unmute yourself. I won't let me unmute him now. He's frozen again. We lost Zach. All right. Josh, you're number two on this recruitment. Sometimes your primary takes a job somewhere else, and and the secondary's got to fill in the gap. That's why you have two guys. Got to be able to close, right? Mm -hmm. I got to be able to close. Yeah, so I'll pick it up right here. Uh, Yeah, Tatum Bethune led the Golden Knights with 108 tackles on the season. Just the Knights. He's a very productive player for the Golden Knights. Um, This is a guy that, you know, we knew Florida State would – would probably pursue if he hit the portal. And now that he's announced that he's in the portal, we definitely think that, you know, FSU is going to go all in here at a position of need. I've been uh, communicating with Ryan Callahan of our Tennessee site, because obviously, you know, you can connect the dots there. Um, Josh Heupel is now the head coach at Tennessee. So there's some connections. Um, Ryan initially said that, you know, he wasn't sure if Tennessee would be in the market for a a transfer linebacker. Um, He has since, told me that he thinks there's some level of interest, but he doesn't know right now if Tennessee is going to push for him. So I'll continue to try to get some intel from that angle. Um, But as of now, I don't think we know of any other teams that are a real threat to land him. Just saying we don't know. I mean, there could be, but we we just don't know. Uh, Little Birdie told me he may have a timeline like of coming up soon. We'll we'll see that Little Birdie is uh, back in action and having working internet right now. Yeah, he told me. Um, yeah, so I, I spoke to someone close to, to Bethune and, um, they don't, but it doesn't, he said that, uh, Bethune doesn't have a specific date that he's going to decide, but that it's expected to be within this coming week. Ooh. So, um, which would make sense. I mean, if he's going to get enrolled at FSU, it's going to be b- before the fifth, which could be in the next couple of days. That yeah. seems pretty positive for FSU or just connecting dots. If you're saying the timeline is the next couple of days, he's not visiting anywhere. He has intimate familiarity with a couple of coaches on the staff. I shouldn't say intimate familiarity. It's going to be taken the wrong way. You know what I mean? You guys know what I mean? Chance Maine is on campus. Christopher, Zachary, what's going on there? It's the last transfer portal defensive target we're going to talk about today. He's here till midday Monday. Uh, he came in on Saturday, so basically a 48-hour official visit. At this point, he does not yet have an offer from FSU. He is a big-body defensive end who was at JUCO with Jermaine Johnson. Then he was at Incarnate Word for the spring season. Hurt the shoulder, got cut on, got it cleaned up, rehabbed, didn't play in the fall. That's basically all I got. Okay, so the last two things I want to talk about. Uh, first, some house cleaning real quick. Josh, do the numbers, do they work out? Generally speaking, always. Wow. Wow. So we will do an update on FSU's roster count right now uh, sometime this week to, to fill some people in. You can check that out on Dole's 24-7. Just the projection, especially as guys are set to enroll here. When do classes start? T- today? Fifth. Fifth? When- Wednesday, I believe. Right, Zach? Yeah. I should have gone to the student. It would have made more sense. But they're coming this week. The schedules are getting drawn up and whatnot. So we'll have a good idea of like who's actually enrolled. Chris, do they have how many did how many players did Mike Norvell say were expected to enroll at Florida State? Sixteen to twenty? Yeah, I believe spring? it was sixteen to twenty. He said that during the signing day ceremony uh party that evening. So at this point they have the six transfers that are expected to enroll. Uh and I'll work the commitment list backwards as far as enrollees. Kanaya Charlton, Brian Courtney. Omar Graham, Daughtry Richardson, Bishop Thomas, Aaron Hester, Daniel Lyons, also his teammate who is not officially uh, signing, but you know, committed Dante Anderson. Is he part of the recruiting class rankings? No. Oh, uh, Rodney Hill, AJ Duffy, AZ Thomas, Sam McCall. All so right. 16, is that what we're at? 16, yeah, 16 plus 6. 
Yeah. Right? That makes it. No. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll get the official count for you. Okay. <laughs> well, Chris is doing that. The other thing we want to talk about with uh, house cleaning here is the coaching contracts that are kind of up in the air right now. Still, to our knowledge, there has not been uh, any any extensions or any finalized deals that have been agreed to or given to us through FSU for both Ron Dugans and Odell Hagens. This is being recorded on January 3rd. Their contracts run through January 31st. Uh, strange, I guess, that they haven't been finalized yet or we haven't been alerted to it. There has been the holidays, so maybe uh, maybe that's why. But I don't know, Josh. Am, am I reading too much in that to think that it's, it's odd that we haven't heard anything from those two yet with less than a month left remaining on the contract at this point? Yeah, I'm not expecting Dugans to be renewed at this point. I am expecting Odell Hagens to be renewed. Um, have a couple theories on why or why not those uh, contracts have or have not been executed yet. But at this point, you know, no announcement before the early signing period, no announcement after when they announced Tony Tokars and Alex Atkins. I thought that was the opportunity to say what you're going to do with Dugans and Hagens, but FSU declined to do that. So now I don't expect anything to be announced probably until closer to the day where their contracts expire, which is the end of this month. Um, all indications from talking with multiple sources is that Odell Hagens has given everybody no reason to believe he's walking away, no reason to believe anything. I've also been told that when Odell Hagens does step off the field, that I expect him to sort of disappear from Florida State, meaning he's going to retire. Um, I've been told I don't expect Odell to claim an office and be an ambassador to the boosters or anything of that nature, just because, you know, he likes to fish. He likes his time to himself. And it's just not something that I expect he's going to take on. Um, I don't think Odell, I think he's 55 now. I don't think he's going to be coaching until he's 65. Um, but I also don't think that this was his last year by any indication, players, coaches, um, there's no indication that Odell's finished. Now, as far as Dugans goes, um, I think he would have been extended because Florida State was still in the the race for Kevin Coleman. Um, with Dillingham leaving, there was an, a brief window of opportunity there to extend your wide receiver coach, say that this is what's happening, and you know use that as a – not saying that that's the ace up the sleeve, but in recruiting, you use whatever you got. And maybe you use that to recruit Kevin Coleman or some of the other wide receivers on the board. FSU did not. My expectation is they're going to move on from Dugans. So Hagan's this past year was 28th season as a coach for FSU. So to reach 30, obviously that would be two more. 30 is a pretty significant number, but you know, just reach three decades with one program is pretty unheard of these days. Mm -hmm. But also from a state retirement system standpoint, pension, yeah. And he's also gotten healthier in yeah. really the last like three, four years, once he got that, what was it? Knee surgery. Yeah. He got his knees cleaned up. Um, he went from a 50 year old that was walking like a 65 year old to like a 50 year old that was finally walking like a 50 year old again. Yeah. Yeah. Much more spring in the step for the man. Mm -hmm. So the official count to get back to that, it's 11 of the 15 signees, the six transfers and Dante Anderson. So it is 18. 18. So still potentially a couple more. Potentially. Yeah. There's also PWO possibilities. Um, yeah. I don't know if the the big uh, kid from up in the Northeast. I don't know. I presume he's a mid-year well, guy since he announced all that. Why do you say potentially, Brandon? I mean, they're definitely going to take more. Well, Verse the next... would be one. Bethune yeah. would be one. I yeah. definitely think those are probably their top yeah, two priorities. I mean, Dylan Gibbons right committed on May, t May 10th. Like, they're definitely going to Oh, take... I'm talking about for the spring. Oh, the spring gotcha. coming I thought you meant the just for the week. class in general. Mid-year tights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is really important to them. Like, they've emphasized that, that that's something they value. And the guys who produced the most for them as far as mid-year transfers, Jermaine Johnson, Kier Thomas, Jamie Robinson. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that they were here in the spring. And just for clarification, they could bring in high school kids right now, too, that were yeah. our mid-year enrollees. But it yeah. just shows that there are none. And the FSU is not currently active with any high schools. They're They're – prep board was pretty truncated and we've we've gone over that already right. uh when when they missed out on the the big fish uh they they kind of moved on to transfer uh, I, I have been told they'd like to take a dn from the high school ranks um in february that was something that the jack pyburn recruitment kind of brought that upon me that they would mm -hmm. love to add verse 
but because they need two to three at that position, they'd also love to have a high schooler if possible at that position. But it's if a matter of finding the right guy. I mean, the, yeah. the biggest issue is just finding one. It's not even yeah. really recruiting. I mean, it's just finding one that you think yeah. deserves a scholarship here. Like, Pyburn's a high-productive kid at a good program in Bowles in Jacksonville, but they want to see him in person to see his actual size. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of ultimately where you're at. Like, it's kind of like why guys are in the transfer portal for a reason. At this point, guys are pretty much unsigned for right. a reason. There's some inherent flaw that you got to kind of sift through and figure out whether you're okay living with that flaw and whether it's going to be detrimental. It's just tough. You go from maybe getting Marvin Jones Jr. to, to now you're kind of kicking the tires on a bunch of guys you – haven't seen in person yet or developed great relationships with just kind of yeah. what happens when you miss the, uh, blue chip committed sign percentage yet for this year. Maybe they're waiting until after the all American bowl this coming weekend mm-hmm. before we see that number unveiled. But I think it's around 75 to 80 again. Mm-hmm. So speaking of all-star games, let's real quick give a, give a shout out to AJ Duffy. He had an amazing week. It sounded like at the under armor all America game, uh, the game itself, well, Chris, I'll throw this to you because I know you, you paid attention to it and, and I've been talking about it all week. So so I'll throw this to you. But it sounds like he, he did really well for himself. Yeah, Greg Biggins kind of led the charge for 24-7 with quarterbacks at the event. He named Duffy his top quarterback throughout the week of practices and consistently on a day-to-day basis. He named him the top quarterback. As for the game itself, it was normal ugly affair that the Under Armour game tends to be because they don't take practice ultra serious. And it's tough to prepare any group of kids for a game in four days. Um, he did go five of 16 for 97 passing yards, including a 75 yard touchdown. I've seen it listed both 65 and 75, uh, in their game notes. They said it's 65 in their stat sheet. They said it's 75. Who am I to believe? We'll settle on 70. He threw it at least 70, but actually it was a quick out to Luther Burden. Who's a grown ass man who broke a tackle and housed it. Awesome play by Burden. Uh, I actually thought Duffy's best throw was one that was dropped. He put one kind of in a bucket for a receiver down the field. Nice throw. Hit him right in the hands, and the guy just dropped it. Would have probably been a 30, 40-yard completion for him. Best throw today. He had a couple of real bad ones, including the interception, where he was just pressured and forced it. Bad O-line play. You know, in comparison, the quarterbacks that were on his team went 0 for 1 for 0. That was Luther Burden throwing a ball. Uh, holding the Auburn commitment, 3 for 6 for 46. And Wegman, the Texas A&M kid who can let it fly down the field, I thought had the best, you know, mechanics of a thrower. Six of 14 for 77 yards. What's so funny, Sano? I got to ask. I got to derail it because I was looking at the picture of A.J. Duffy on the front page, and I'm like, I really like those uniforms at the Under Armour game, these turquoise blue ones. And they reminded me of something. And I Googled what it was, and it was the 1996 NBA All-Star uniforms. Oh, so you can 96. remember that. And I can remember All-Star. something from one in Arizona. Uh, it, was, it, was the year after, it was the year after. And Josh you call Stadium. yourself a true fan. <laughs> so that's you what know, I was my face on Twitter. What kind of fan are you? It was it was my irony of of remembering something from 1996. I don't remember the, the wh- where was one, The Phoenix the ones, ones were the year before, and they were almost like Phoenix uh, Suns colors. They were deep, dark purple and orange. Did they have palm trees on them or something? I don't remember that. I don't know. Maybe it was different. Uh, and the, the 96 was in San Antonio, so they mm-hmm. think it went with like a you know Midwest turquoise homage. Southwest. I knew it was something. Oh, yeah, Southwest, whatever. Just some West. It's all West. So the big praise from Biggins on Duffy, quick decisions, strong throws, kid took to coaching. Those are all very good traits, things that we like. Um, Yeah. Uh, all-star weeks always spark a lot of debate about guys. I think the practices are more important in the game in most cases. With the all-star week, the game tends to be a sloppy affair. I think the under-hour game is truthfully far worse than the all-American ball in the sense of putting forth a good product um, on the field. So I'm not going to make any grandiose decisions on A.J. Duffy you based off take, of what I watched on ESPN. Huge takeaways from Under Armour Week. I mean, I remember the, the year we went out there and Jameis just laid an egg for like four straight days. He was awful. And, and then he was great. Guys were really taking it seriously and stuff. And then he just goes out and does it in the game. And I think he was the MVP, put up big numbers, which Trevor a lot of quarterbacks don't do. A bad game, if I remember correctly, in the All-American Who? Bowl, Trevor Lawrence. I want to say through a couple picks, maybe got hit and fumbled once or twice. Yeah. yeah so it, it's yeah, not I, a game you can take, you know, even I, the I, practices. My opinion of Duffy remains the same. I think he's a very talented kid who has a lot of good traits, which is the reason why FSU took him and why they valued him so highly and why he was an All American and deserved to be. 
I also think it would probably be beneficial for him next year if he plays limited reps and he's given some time to develop within the system, despite being an early enrollee. Nothing I saw or heard over the week of Under Armour takes me off my idea that he needs two springs before I feel comfortable putting him on the field. If Again, if he's your backup quarterback next year, Florida State really didn't learn much about the position um, and what their needs are. I don't think you know he's going to be the answer if, if uh, Jordan Travis goes down. Um, but I do like Duffy a good deal. I think, you know, he, he will eventually become the future of this team. Um, but I think he definitely needs two springs under his belt before he's ready for that. What if Deuce spans the backup quarterback this year? Oh boy. For Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, Zach Blossian, I'm Brendan Snow. This has been on the bench. Promised a 30 minute episode before we start recording guys. It's an hour. Bye. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.